Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help inspire and drive change. And today I'm delighted to be joined by not two, but three guests. I'm delighted to be joined by Cyrus Sangera, Wes Illingsworth and Zaki Cooper. Let me tell you a bit about them before I introduce them. So Cyrus Sangera currently works as an analyst within the middle office team at Man Group. She strives to be a champion of diversity and inclusion in the industry. And she does that by being involved in numerous networks and working groups, both internally at Man Group, such as NextGen, Women at Man, and externally, as well as an ambassador for City Seeks and is a founding member of Faiths United Youth Group. Sarah, wonderful to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Julia. Thank you for inviting me here today. Pleasure. Great, great to have you on the show. And joining Sarah today is Zaki. Zaki Cooper is passionate about interfaith, stemming from his time working for then Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He is the co-founder of Faiths United, a trustee of two interfaith charities, and also gave a TED talk on the subject last year. His day job is focused on advising leaders and family offices on their philanthropy and communications. Zaki, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to see you. It's great to be here, Julia. Thank you. And last but no means least, I'm delighted to be joined by Wes Illingsworth, who leads the city team at St. Helens Church, Bishopsgate. St. Helens seeks to enable city workers to know Jesus Christ and make him known in and around their workplaces. Wes, thanks for joining us. Great to see you. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. So, so this this is a very important subject. It's one we probably don't talk about nearly enough, if I'm honest. Which is, if you like, faith in financial services. And we have listeners all around the world. And I'm really delighted to be uh, to dedicating some time to this. And thank you all for joining us. And we felt it was important to have more than just two guests because you know interfaith ecumenical conversation uh, can't necessarily just focus on one or two religions. So I'm delighted that we have three guests joining us today as well. But I do just want to just talk about what's going on right now. And we ask all our guests when they first join, which is, you know, we're recording this in October 2020. What is your particular focus for the remainder of 2020? Sarah, I'm going to come to you first of all. I'd say to continue to build on my network and also to find new ways to position the organisations I'm involved in to cater to this new normal. It seems likely that we'll not be coming out of lockdown for the end of this year. So just trying to ensure that we continue to learn and grow and champion those around us. Wonderful. And it is incredibly important, isn't it, that we're looking out for the individuals and also what the networks are thinking about as well. Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. These are, these are, as you say, extraordinary times. We're really keen to hear what you're focused on, uh, particularly as we're going into, of course, you know, the Advent season. Thanks, Julia. Yeah, two big things I think we're focusing on at the moment. As Sarah was saying, because so many city workers are working from home and are anxious, worried or just generally affected by COVID, I guess we're trying to do a lot at the moment to help city workers engage with the good news of Jesus through virtual and online channels, giving people as many opportunities as we can to investigate the claims of Jesus for themselves in kind of Zoom calls and various online things. And then, as you say, yeah, Christmas is the second big thing. I guess a lot of people are feeling Christmas might be a bit of a disappointment this year. So we are really tr- going to be doing our best to bring Christmas to the city. We want to give as many people as possible 
the chance to hear and celebrate the joy of, of Christmas that Christ the Saviour has come into the world. And normally we'd have lots of big set piece carol services in the building. And we'll still have some of those, but this year we're really trying to encourage city workers who are Christians to put on Christmas events for their colleagues to share the joy of Christmas with those around them in imaginative and creative ways. And it's fascinating, you know, you say about the imaginative and creative ways, I mean, we're having to use different platforms and different tools. And of course, the congregation of people of whatever faith or in whatever capacity is being sort of called into question at the moment in terms of the ability to get people together. So, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it is an incredible time for people having to reimagine how, how to engage with their congregations and their networks as well. Uh, thank you for that. And Zaki, I'd love to ask you the same question. What, what are you focused on? Yeah, I think I'd split it into my sort of personal and professional goals. I think personally, it's really about sort of counting my blessings, staying healthy, appreciating what I have and looking after those around me. There's a lovely part in, in Jewish scriptures in the ethics of the fathers, which talks about you know, happiness being about someone who's happy with what they have. It's about wanting what you have, not having what you want, in essence. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think these last several months of COVID have taught us all to sort of reflect and, and evaluate. And I think professionally, I want to continue to do a good job for my clients, obviously, but also help them behave responsibly and look after those around you. I think this is a time where we all need to look around us beyond our own immediate concerns, look, look around at our uh, family, friends, neighbourhoods, communities, and look out for those who are vulnerable in need of help. And I hope to do that both, as I say, in my personal behaviour, but also professionally. And I mentioned in my opening remarks about you, about you know advising businesses in philanthropy, and, and this is not a conversation today about charity necessarily in the uh, institutional sense, in, in how they are basically uh, being able to raise funds, but the importance of philanthropy in everyday personal interactions and behaviours and also corporate behaviours as well is, is, is really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, the city is a great source of philanthropy and faith communities are also a great source of charity and philanthropy. I mean, around 30 percent of all charities in the UK are faith based. So this is an important time now for, I think, people in the city and faith communities to step up and do as much as possible as the needs become so enormous and acute. Absolutely. Well, well let, let me stay with you, Zaki, if I may. Just, I'd like to sort of begin to explore, if you don't mind, sort of how faith has uh, affected your, your working life and your career. I think it's affected it in different ways. I've always uh, worn my faith, my Jewish identity proudly on my sleeve. It's an integral part of who I am and what I am. And it does actually impact in some practical ways in terms of diet. I keep kosher. It impacts also in terms of the Sabbath. I keep the Sabbath, so it means I don't work on a Friday afternoon in the winter months because the Sabbath comes in early at that point. And uh, it also impacts in terms of not being around on Jewish holidays and festivals. And what I've found is if you're proud about your own identity, people will respond accordingly. But if you're uneasy and uncomfortable about your identity, people feel uneasy and uncomfortable about it towards you. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've never sort of encountered any particular problems. And as I say, when I used to work in the city, I used to work for a large international bank with people of all sorts of different sort of faiths and backgrounds. And I, I was able to bring my Jewish identity into my working environment. And what I found is that I often bonded with the people from other religions amongst colleagues. So I would know that, for example, when phoning a, a colleague in the Middle East, if I needed to get hold of them on a Friday, it was difficult. It was their day off. So I couldn't do that. But I was attuned to that. I, I think I was naturally attuned to that. So 
yeah, it's always been something that I, I brought into my working life. And I love your comment about wearing your identity proudly. This comes through in so many discussions we have in Diversity Podcast about, you know, whatever your identity is, is the way that people respond to it in terms of how you project it and own it, if you like, which is really fascinating. And and Sarah, I would like to come to you. I I mentioned in the introduction about, you know, you're an ambassador for City Seeks and also a founding member of the Faiths United Youth Network as well. And a similar question to you, really, which is how faith has affected and impacted and driven maybe your working life in financial services? Yes, so I think there's two sides to consider, the actual work that I do and the sort of social nature of working in financial services. And on the side of my career, I think my faith has made me more conscious of responsible investing in ESG. There's obviously been a general increase in awareness of these topics, but the concepts of stewardship, sharing for the benefit of society and building an inclusive community are written into the teachings of my faith. And these are just some of the things that have an impact on what industry I want to work in and what kind of firm I want to work for. And in terms of the social side, faith can often have uh, an effect on things that others might not think of, such as what someone chooses to eat or drink. I think that having clearly labeled foods such as what is vegetarian and equivalent non-alcoholic drinks can go such a long way in making a difference in helping someone of a particular faith feel more comfortable. Um, And I'd say my faith, or maybe more my culture, has also helped me stand out and get involved in more things than just my day-to-day job. Um, A man group, one thing we we, we used to do was a lunch and learn series where we celebrated cultural festivals as they came up. So we'd bring in food and drink from that particular culture and we'd engage um, with those celebrating the festival and learn something new. Um, And as we're remote working now, we're looking at ways to move this online so we can continue celebrating, even if we're not all together in the office. It's really wonderful to hear you talk about those different perspectives as well, because, you know, certainly in financial services, you know, as as people know, is in my world, the subject around environmental, social and governance investment is prevalent. You know, everybody's talking about it. And of course, you know, it's fascinating to hear you talk about, you know, your your faith and your background and and your um, the the contribution that makes even how you're thinking and contributing with with that part of the industry, which is really important. And I also, you know, the point about food and drink, this is really interesting. This comes up a lot. So we think about how so often it was Thursday night drinks in the pub. You know, kind of we, we come from that world, the city is very synonymous with those sort of behaviours on Friday night drinks and, and being very attuned. And I love this word, kind of wear your identity proudly, be very attuned to um, different cultural and also faith dynamics. And what that means in terms of even down into, and I say even not as an end excuse, but actually as a really dominant part of people's behavior, culture, identity, what people eat and drink, and and also throughout the entire calendar year, particularly thinking about Islam and Ramadan, of course, as well. Thank you so much for those thoughts. And and Wes, I'd I'd love to come to you as well with, uh, I know, I mean, you're engaging with city institutions, financiers to encourage their faith and their relationship with faith as well. Um, so, so how do you engage and how, how does that work? Yeah, a whole range of ways, I suppose. Let me give you a, a flavour of what we're trying to do. So we're, we're trying to reach out to, to Christians who work in the city, but also people who are, wouldn't call themselves Christians. Maybe they're very cynical or maybe they're, they're kind of curious in, inquirers. But we're, we're trying to give everyone the chance to, to find, out, find out more about Jesus. And we do that in different ways. We have weekly lunchtime talks, 20-minute talks from the Bible, trying to show Christians how more about Jesus and show unbelievers who he is and how they could benefit from knowing him. We have whole discussion groups 
that might take the form of just a these days are over Zoom, but in the in the old days before COVID might happen in a pub or in an office where a handful of people would, would meet together. Someone might give a short presentation on, on Jesus and then people can ask questions and raise their objections and, and knock, knock, knock it around. We have groups of people who go out on the street as city pastors trying to serve city workers out in the evenings. Obviously, there's not many of them at the moment, but also homeless people and other people just knocking around in the city. We have Bible study groups, groups of people wanting to really interrogate the claims of, of Christianity for themselves by joining a course where they can ask as many questions as they want. And then we engage corporately, you know, in inviting companies to the things like our remembrance service and, and big things like carol services at this time of year. So there's yeah, a range of from the individual to, to the bigger scale. There's a lot of a lot of people as well find it useful to just meet with one other person to talk through their their questions, their concerns, have a look at the eyewitness evidence for Jesus themselves. We found that's been really popular over the last few years. A lot of people have, have found that a useful way to, to find out questions in a way that's quite informal and they don't have to expose themselves in front of big groups of people. And then when we think there about uh, sort of the role that you're playing and the things that you're thinking about, what I'd really love to do now, sort of building on all, all three of your comments really, is kind of pivot the conversation slightly in terms of thinking about organisational structures and organisational behaviours as well. And, and thinking through, you know, what I guess my question is, what does a faith-friendly organisation look like? And, and you know, any examples of, of, of best practice? And wait, let me stay with you on, on that question. You've talked about what you, know, what you offer. Love, love to hear your thoughts about what, what organisations in your parish you're thinking about. Yeah, thanks. I, I emailed a few, a few, a handful of the, the city workers that, that are part of the congregation here to ask their views on it. And some negative examples and some really, really positive examples. Yeah, let me just give you, give you a few of them and see what see what you think. So, I think a, a lot of people feel quite negative about the diversity and inclusion agenda, I guess, because they feel that often it's quite a superficial thing. So, I think we all fall into it in one way or another. But we we want to have perhaps a, a website that shows lots of different people on it, but then. I guess to really celebrate diversity, you need to allow people to express their different views and different opinions. And I think that's where a, quite a lot of companies seem to fall down is that they, yeah, they're happy with the superficial kind of virtue signaling. But when it comes to allowing people to really say what they believe, that, that's where people feel much, much less comfortable. And so just a few, few ex- examples. There's one guy who wanted to organize an event a couple of years ago around Easter to help help friends and colleagues ask him about what, what Easter is all about and what it means for Jesus to have died and risen again. And, and his company just you know, wouldn't, wouldn't allow that to happen. But they would allow other, other activities for other groups to, to, to do things. And, and that's we've heard that kind of thing quite a few times. And that particular individual, even more recently, he thought, well, I can't do that, but I could at least, I'll bring in some hot cross buns to back to colleagues, which sounds really small, but he, even that he got rebuked for, for doing that. Yeah, I think that's probably quite an extreme example, but the example of not being able to, to put on events and publicly make those known to other colleagues, I think that's the big thing where some, some 
Christians sometimes feel, yeah, other groups are allowed to do that, but what we're not allowed, we're not allowed to do that. I think a positive one, someone talked about an event at a big bank where they, the board were there and they made it really clear that they want people to bring their whole selves to, to the company when, when they come into work, whatever their, their beliefs, their background, they want to, to make it clear that that's not something they should keep keep to themselves to the private sphere, but that's actually something they should discuss and bring bring out publicly at work. And so, uh, quite a few of the banks, big law firms, they, they are doing that. They're encouraging all groups in their company to, to put on events that say, actually, this is what we believe and allow others to engage with that. So yeah, those have been the really positive things that we've seen over the last few years. And I think what's interesting about that is when organisations are talking about a culture of inclusion, which, you know, we see a lot of this in the brochure where is that that's that's beautiful evidence of actually taking that seriously and also then sort of proactively doing something about it by allowing the identity, as Zaki was saying, to be so proudly uh, shone through as well. So, Zaki, I'd, I'd love to go, you know, you, you advise corporates as well. Um, you know, when we think about faith friendly organisations and any any thoughts to share yeah absolutely i mean it takes me back to a talk i heard by uh, lord griffiths brian griffiths uh, several years ago on the subject and he proposed the following typology he talked about faith friendly faith neutral and faith based and i think i've worked in organizations of all types faith based when i worked for the chief rabbi's office faith neutral not doing it so well and faith friendly and i think the sort of features of a faith-friendly company is a company that understands that each person needs to be treated as an individual and that people of faith may have particular needs in relation to things like diet, prayer, time off for Sabbath maybe or special festivals during the year. And I think a faith-friendly company not just tolerates their employees of faith but appreciates them. And I think of a good example of a former boss of mine at the bank who on a Friday afternoon, would sort of be looking at the clock, thinking, shouldn't you be going home soon? It's the Sabbath. And he would be more worried about me sort of getting home on time than I would be sometimes. And he was really a fantastic example. And I think a mature company that's faith-friendly can also see the benefit in terms of the values that people bring to the workplace and also the networks and the business opportunities. Just to give one quick example, the Islamic finance market, absolutely massive worth $2.4 trillion. So there are opportunities to be pursued through people of faith as well. Most definitely. And in fact, one of our previous episodes in this season was particularly talking about the Islamic financial market as well. So yes, absolutely. And I I love your three definitions of faith-friendly, faith-neutral and faith-based as well. Uh, Sarah, from your experience, and, and again, sort of through the networks you've been with, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, what, what organizations should be focusing on to become faith-friendly. So I, I mentioned the Lunch and Learn series earlier on. I think that the reason why that works is because people feel confident in wanting to um, put on displays of their own culture, share their own culture. I think when you have an environment where you're provided with that autonomy and responsibility, you begin to feel confident in speaking up and speaking out. I think that's really helpful in terms of faith-based activities. I think that's an incredibly salient point, which is about if you want to have high performing teams of confident people to allow the identity to be worn so proudly. I think these words you, you bring, Zaki, really sort of stick with me all the way through the interview, but also to have people, let people have a voice and be proud to have the voice and to be stand tall 
with the voice as well, which is which is really, really important. I mean, Saki, I'm, I'm going to come back to you if you don't mind, which is the point about, you know, we've talked a little bit about ESG and we've talked about the, the, the business potential that, that, that's on offer as well. Any other reasons why financial services firms, not only in the UK, but also around the world, need to take faith seriously? Yeah, well, look, financial services is one of the great sectors of our economy. It's a jewel in the crown of the UK. So I think whatever we're talking about, whatever aspect of DNI, it needs to be in the lead, uh, at least on a par or ahead of other sectors. Why is faith important? I mean, look at the data. The last census carried out in 2011 showed that around 70% of the British population identify with the faith. It doesn't mean they're all super religious. We know that they're not because attendance at places of worship is a bit patchy, but it does mean that faith is important to a lot of people. And Actually, if you look at the global figures, they're much higher than for the UK. I mean, in general terms, about 85% of the world's population identifies with a faith. So as a result of that, it's obvious that all boards should be taking faith seriously. There are people amongst uh, their staff, amongst their clients and their customers who are people of faith. It's an intrinsic part of their identity. And I talked a little bit before, I think we all talked about the potential business opportunity. I mean, it's amazing now where you see some of the big banks and other firms doing Diwali events or Hanukkah events, obviously Christmas events. And I think that's fantastic because it's an opportunity for others to learn about different festivals. And the final point I'd make is that business and the city is one of the best tools for interfaith there is. It may not even realize it. But when you come into a workplace, you're mixing with people of all sorts of different ethnicities, faiths, races, nationalities, backgrounds. And actually, that's the way you learn about them through through these sort of friendships and relationships you build up in the workplace. So I think it's really, really important. Wonderful. And and Wes, I'd, I'd like to come back. I mean, you, you were nodding. People, obviously, this is a podcast. People can't now see this. We're recording this on Zoom. But I saw, I saw you nodding along there uh, with comments as well. And we were talking earlier about some, some good examples and also perhaps some not so positive examples of, of corporate behaviour as well. I mean, I'd love to hear, do you have any other uh, observations of best practice that you would recommend to the listeners in where financial services do put faith at the forefront of, of what they do? Yeah, just building on, on what Zaki is saying, I think I guess the current situation makes it clear, doesn't it, that we don't have the answers to lots of big questions that we face solely in in the economy or in our material material wealth or what our companies do. And and I think companies have recognised that. I think we noticed at the beginning of lockdown there was a greater openness to hear hear the answers that that people have, and so we found. When Christians were saying, can I put on an event to think about hope in the face of anxiety or death, the companies were much more positive about that than they had been previously. So I think that's that's quite encouraging that people are willing to say, actually, yeah, we do need to look outside of our own our own company for answers to the big things that we're going through at the moment. And if there's genuine diversity where people can say, actually, this is what I believe, this is where I look to for answers and we can discuss that and engage with that, then we'll help each other. Whereas if we're not able to do that, then we're, we're just stuck with stuck with the answers of, of the politics and the, the, the economics that we, we know doesn't, doesn't provide the ultimate answers that we need. Is that what you mean? It does, yes, definitely. And it sort of chimes back to, again, what Zaki was saying at the open of the, of the conversation about, you know, when we think about what we're focused on right now is that, people are deeply anxious, people are concerned, people are facing 
not only, you know, kind of uh, situations we've never been in before, but also a path ahead that is going to be, well, again, uncertain, really. So there is so much to be learned from and to be to benefit people while they are navigating their own personal relationship with uncertainty as well. And of course, listening to people talk about hope and talk about um, you know, how people are processing considering, dealing, and also engaging with each other in terms of networks and fellowships as well, uh, matters as well. Um, so I'd love to come to you. I mean, this, uh, this sort of question, which which sort of kicks around our heads a lot when we talk about diversity inclusion, about, you know, inclusion and belonging. And we've been talking a lot about both of those, but also the importance of reaching out to every corner of society. And right now, when we think about navigating the pandemic, there are some individuals who are younger and, you know, at either, you know, isolated because they don't have families of their own necessarily, or they're not living with a family. There are also, we think a lot about social inclusion and we think about ethnic minority representation as well. What I don't want to do is I don't want to lump them all together by any way, shape or form. And I just want to make that crystal clear. But I am sort of thinking that there is a faith dynamic to ethnic minority heritage, and there is a faith dynamic to social inclusion as well. And I just wonder, and love to hear your thoughts about, you know, when we're thinking about reaching out to other members of society, is, is there a faith-based conversation to be had? Firstly, I'd like to say that I, I feel like inclusion is more of a behavior kind of the way that an organization acts to include a diverse range of people however belonging is truly accepting and celebrating those individual differences of that diverse range of people um, I think the first thing that needs to be done kind of at the, the top level is breaking down the preconceptions that the world of finance is unachievable it's a very very broad industry with a range of different roles requiring different skills I think that what can be done is providing education on what the different parts of finance do and how they should plan for a career in finance, um, plus focusing on, de on developing soft skills such as interviewing, writing emails, or even how to handshake if we ever move back to, to handshakes. Um, I remember I did a volunteering day through my workplace at, at a school in East London where we were providing CV and interview training. And the first thing I, I did was ask each member of my group to just shake my hand and then shake it again and again until it was strong enough and confident enough. It's just not something you necessarily learn at school. But once they have these skills, they'll arrive at an interview or the workplace with a solid foundation to build on. And I'm now looking at running a program through the Next Gen Network at Man Group to address this. But there are some incredible organizations out there that a lot of finance firms already work with, such as SEO, City Gateway, Bright Network that are in, involved in uh, kind of focus towards the ethnic minorities or those of lower socioeconomic backgrounds. My advice to those still at school or university is just to engage with as many as you can and take on their advice and get the experience that helps you stand out. In regards to the connection with, with my faith, my faith personally advocates for selfless service or, or saver. I think it's important to give back what you can, even if it's just time, knowledge and skills. And so I think my faith plays a large part in my involvement in all the organisations I'm a part of. And I want to do my best to help, especially for the next generation coming through. Wonderful. And I think that's a great moment to turn to Cynthia for some research to support today's discussion. The 2017 De Click International article outlines the nine actions to create a faith-friendly workplace. Number one, Identify and challenge religious biases. Number two, use a structured process to assess religious requests. Number three, be open to accommodating employees' religious practices. Number four, 
consider holiday requests for religious reasons, just like any other request. Number five, check religious festivals calendars when planning events and meetings. Number six, consider dietary restrictions. Seven, be mindful of people's modesty values. Eight, raise your team's awareness about religious diversity. And nine, use religious events to strengthen relations within the team. By doing so, you are answering the following questions. Are you being fair? Are you treating others as they'd like to be treated? And are you accelerating positive change? So thank you, Cynthia, for that research. Uh, And as always, all the research is available on the website, diversitypodcast.com. Don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S. Diversitypodcast.com, where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Diversity Podcast is available on Bright's Talk and all good podcast channels. And by the way, we'd love a rating because it all helps to promote the show. So, so where's something you were saying earlier about corporate structures? And we've obviously been talking about personal identities, networks, the conversation about intersection as well. Uh, love your thoughts. One of the, the big the big issues that a lot of a lot of the guys mention is 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 probably around things like the LGBT networks in companies and things like um, Black Lives Matter and that sort of thing, where where companies will say, in the name of diversity and inclusion, they will say, you need to kind of signal your support for this organisation, or or they kind of people are are really encouraged really strongly to kind of say that they're 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 linking up with an organization with the kind of pride movement or with or with the organization of black lives matter and i think how quite a lot of christians will respond to that by thinking i'm totally i know you know jesus loves everyone i'm here to be compassionate and to reach out to everyone so i want to i want to totally stand with gay colleagues, transgender colleagues, make sure that they're not excluded or treated unfairly. I want to make sure that black colleagues are treated as well as everyone else. But because of my my beliefs, I don't sign up to the organization of pride and what that stands for. And I don't want to be aligned with Black Lives Matter because if I go on Black Lives Matter website, I can see that it's, it's not actually just about race it's actually saying we don't agree with the family and you know we're, we're quite a marxist organization or do you see what i mean so people their own beliefs mean that actually they don't want to be aligned with that the ideology of pride or the ideology of of that particular organization but then they're put under pressure to to wear a lanyard to, to put something on their email to promote that and and if they try and raise that and say look i'm totally with equality, you know, I'm I'm called not only to be tolerant, but I'm called to love everybody. But they they're not heard in that. They're just heard as well. You're either you're either going to support this, or you're going to be condemned as homophobic. And 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 what and what advice would you give organisations about first of all being mindful of it and and also addressing it? It's a good it's a good question. I th- I think just by just simply pushing kind of the positive values of of equality and everyone is welcome, but uh, uh, making clear that 
that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with everything that goes behind that. There is room for discussion and for people to explain what they believe. And I'm sure that, you know, I, I think that would Muslim people that I know would, would struggle with that as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's are you allowed to say what you actually think and to have the, the time and the space to explain that? Or, or are you just going to be kind of ruled out as? And I think that's where people feel really fearful if they say in the work sphere what they actually think about something. There's, there's a kind of an immediate jump on that there's not it's not really diversity it's actually everyone has to think the same and everyone has to believe the same the same things and in the framework of diversity and inclusion we talk a lot about the importance of intersectionality and how networks are allying with each other and also supporting each other and coming together it's important to not to lose the essence of what people feel and what people believe Zaki, can i ask you the same question anything else you're keen to, to bring out no, I mean, just uh, I think that was a really interesting point that Wes just made. Really interesting point and very well put. I mean, these are delicate matters, but we I've seen it a lot from my own community, the different sections of the Jewish community, and and you know, and and relation to the sort of the gay community. And I mean, it's been quite interesting because the current chief rabbi has really gone out on a limb, um, sort of striking up a relationship with a group. I think it's called Keshet, which is a group that's set up uh, by. Uh, Jewish people who are LGBT, and and he's really gone out of limb. I think he wrote a forward for one of their publications, which is a big statement. But that is also much criticised by some sections of the community. So, yeah, all these different areas of um, diversity sometimes reinforce each other, but they do sometimes collide. That is the reality. So, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting point, and I don't have any other sort of particular point to add. So we're not really just going into the, the closing section. And this is a question that I'm asking every single guest who comes on the show, which is, you know, we're going into challenging times. Who knows what 2021 is going to hold? And there is a risk that diversity and inclusion could arguably fall down the corporate agenda. And I'd love to get all your thoughts about why you believe it's important that diversity and inclusion remains high on that agenda. Sara, let me come to you first of all. A sense of belonging, a community, and, and we're in it together, can be very powerful in encouraging and motivating employees and creating the necessary resilience to get through these times. I think that diversity also fosters innovation or new ways of thinking, which could be fruitful in particular industries that may need to reimagine the way that they, ne- they need to work. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and Wes, I mean, when you're work, work, talking to, you know, your, your city parishioners, if I can call them that, your congregation, but also your corporate engagement as well, why does diversity inclusion matter right now? Yeah, thanks, Julia. I, I think like we've been saying, people are asking, asking big questions. Everyone is facing, facing big challenges. And being able to engage with these questions in and around the workplace is is really good for individuals, but it's it's got to be good for for companies as well. So allowing people the chance to investigate, yeah, the claims that the different faith groups make. So as a Christian, I want people to look at Jesus to find out the answers that that I think He gives to to all the challenges that we've we've we're facing at the moment, and the hope that He gives both now and for eternity. And if if we're not allowed to do that, then you're cutting off you're cutting off that support. And but I think positively, I think we have noticed companies are more willing to allow discussion because they recognise that employees' welfare is really important, and so they are encouraging people to 
to ask those bigger questions in and around the workplace. And I think that's a really positive thing. So there, Sarah was talking about, you know, resilience, innovation. There you're talking about welfare and and an employee, employees grappling with big challenges and allowing that to happen. Zaki, love your thoughts as well, if I may, uh, for, you know, why diversity inclusion matters right now. Well, I think any economic downturn is hard for everyone, but it's particularly hard for minorities, outsiders. Um, we've seen that in history. Uh, people tend to look for scapegoats. Um, it's no accident the last few months, which have seen troubled times, obviously, in terms of the pandemic, which have led to economic difficulties. The last few months have seen increased prejudice against the British Chinese community, increased anti-Semitism, increased Islamophobia and other forms of prejudice. Um, so I, I think, though, another reason why it's really important is that there are of course, legal and moral reasons for diversity, but also economic reasons. I think Syra alluded to the point that a more diverse workforce uh, tends to be more sort of economically productive. There's a lot of, lots of research that shows that because you have uh, cognitive diversity, just different uh, perspectives uh, on the table. Uh, and then the final thing I'd say is that faith will obviously remain an important part of that diversity agenda. Uh, we as people are always looking for meaning. We are meaning-seeking animals, and that will always remain part of our DNA. And I think faith will always be an intrinsic part of people's identity in the UK and all over the world. So I have to say it's been a really fascinating discussion. Not only have we talked about you know, what individuals are going through at the moment and thinking about pride in identity, talking about networks the challenge of intersectionality, the importance of it, but also the challenge of it and the reality of it, uh, as people are navigating extraordinary times and also thinking about how they can be uh, resilient as organisations, how we can be innovative as organisations, how we can be productive as organisations, but above all else, to be utterly inclusive and to ensure that everybody feels like they truly belong. It's been a fantastic conversation. Wes, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to be with you. Thanks very much. Syra, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me, Julia. Much appreciated. And finally, Zaki, thank you for all your thoughts. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, everyone. So to everybody who's tuned in, thank you, as always, for listening to Diversity Podcast. My name's Julia Streets, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsania for her insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com. And that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. All our episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you enjoy Diversity Podcast, remember to share on social media and give us a rating or review. It really helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.